What do you need? I know already some of you think, I need a million bucks. And Well, we're talking about what do you need for your marriage, your relationships. I've said this for all of the services. You may not be married. You may never want to be married. You may have been married seven times or whatever, but um, I believe the Lord can speak to you no matter what's going on in your life. Amen? No matter what I'm speaking about. We've been talking about building a marriage and, uh, you know, I know probably most of you have pretty good marriage. Some of you maybe have an average marriage. You may think it's just a decent marriage. And there may be some of you that may be going through a rocky time. And I know there's times, if you've been married for any length of time, you've probably had a rough time. Don't say anything. Just don't, whatever you do, don't acknowledge that. We're just, but, uh, you know, some people think that, their marriage is, really doesn't have anything to work for. There's nothing to work with because it's so bad. Well, I want to give you a good illustration. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, "Who do men say that I am? The son who, I'm sorry, who do men say that I am the son of man am?" Sounds like the green eggs and ham, if you keep. It gets better, so just hold on. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 18, and I say, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus said he didn't find a church, he said he was going to build one. And the thing is, what did Jesus build his church with? He built his church out of sinners. He built his church out of people who were a bunch of babies who argued and fought all the time. He built his church out of mean people, weak people, people that were dropouts, people going to hell. That's the kind of people Jesus used to build his church. And so why am I bringing this up? Well, if Jesus could build the greatest living organism called the church out of people like that, I do believe he can help your marriage. I do believe he can help your marriage. And you may think, well, I need help and I need it quick. Well, this illustration, I think, will will help you. You know what the first miracle that Jesus did? You remember what it was? He turned the water into wine. But where did he do that at? At a wedding. I don't think that was just happenstance that he did it at a wedding. I think God, your Father, wants you to know that he is interested and wants the wedding, wants your marriage to be blessed. He wants your marriage to be a great thing. Marriage should be an awesome thing. And that's one of the things that is in trouble, not only in America, but around the world. Marriages are in trouble at an alarming rate. And I tell you what, though, God has set it up for marriage to be awesome, to be great. You know, 
You heard that one story where a little boy was asking his grandmother, they went to a wedding and said, uh, why does the bride, you know, wear white? Well, it's happiest, glorious, you know, everything. Why does the, the groom wear black? Because he's going to be depressed and sad soon. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's like a lot of marriages are, but just like Jesus turned the water, something bland. You know, if you ever thought you were going to drink something and when you tasted it, your taste buds just went berserk. Uh, a couple, few days ago, I was at mom and dad's house and I made a pot of coffee and, and I started to drink it. And I went, oh, dad goes, what? what? What's wrong with it? It was tea. It wasn't terrible or anything, but it's just my taste buds were expecting we're expecting coffee, and my taste buds thought, what did you do if it's tea? Well, God took something so, I mean, if you want to think of water being bland, he took something so bland like water, and within seconds, he made it taste, or turned it into wine. And it wasn't just wine. Uh, everybody at the wedding said, you know, it's not custom to serve the best last. You should serve the uh, the best first. You know, and that way when everybody's half snockered, then you know what's last. They don't care what it tastes like. But he says, you've saved the best to last. And that happened within seconds. Your marriage, are you ready? Your marriage can be great within seconds. I just lost the whole church on that. <laughs> I want to tell you something. I truly believe this. I believe that the greatest revelation that you and I can have to have not only a great marriage, but a great life. And if you're not married, you can have great relationships. The greatest revelation. The greatest. The greatest revelation is to know how much your Heavenly Father loves you. You said, really? Really. The greatest revelation, the first thing that you and I need to have our hands wrapped around is not your spouse's throat, <laughs> but it is the revelation of how much God loves you. And He really, really loves you. And the more of this revelation you have, I believe the better your marriage will be. So, I do believe this though, that you may say, well, I'm not married. Well, I believe if you have this revelation, it will change your life as well, no matter what's going on in your life. You see, because this is the way the world describes love. You know, everybody looks at Hollywood. And we should be looking at Hollywood. That was a pun. You should be looking at the Word because Hollywood is messed up when it comes to love. What is the, what is the basis of Hollywood's love? Total feelings, total emotions. And the thing is, you know, if she gains a few pounds, all of a sudden, well, I thought I loved her. If he goes bald and gets a little pot belly, well, I thought I loved him. Or, 
Well, they still look good, but I mean, they just are wicked. I mean, they just turned into, I did not know this person. They treat me so terribly. They do everything wrong, and so I don't love them anymore. So their love is based 100% on feelings and emotions. Well, you, Who's going to win at that? And unfortunately, that has crept into the church. That has crept into the church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. He says, To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And to know the love of Christ, it's not just... You ask any Christian, anybody who believes in Jesus, do you think God loves you? Oh yeah, I know God loves me. No, 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 no. This word know here means to intimately know, not a casual know. Intimately know. Do you intimately know that God loves you? Not only does it need, do you need to know that, but you need to have an understanding and experience it. We need to bring Jesus into our marriage, man. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Most focus is on submitting, wives submitting. But to be honest with you, you know, God is interested in you having it. In Titus, it says women are supposed to be in charge of the home. Yeah. Not too many men said amen to that in the first service either. I've counseled people before that, you know, that having financial trouble. You know, it really looks bad if the husband and the wife both are just wanting to spend money that they do not have. Hopefully, there's going to be one of them in the marriage that says, we are not going to buy that 65-inch television because we just don't have the money right now for it. And sometimes, if that's the wife, the man needs to go, okay. Especially if they handle money better than you. You should say, okay. But I don't want to concentrate on that first part because when you hear marriage seminars, a lot of times that's what they concentrate on. This is the part I want to concentrate on. As to the Lord. You need to bring Jesus into your marriage. And then 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives. And this is what he says. You don't just love your wife, but it says, Just as Christ also loved the church. There again, you're bringing Jesus into your marriage. And... Paul gives this illustration in the Bible uh, of the relationship with the church to Jesus. He brings an illustration uh, of marriage. He gives the illustration because how much Jesus loves the church, gave himself for the church, how much he loves it. And he used that illustration of, of marriage saying, this is how marriage should be. This is how marriage should be. Marriage, you know, I, I, years ago, I went to, Melanie and I, we, we were struggling in our marriage. Sucked all of the oxygen right out of the room, right there, didn't it? <laughs> Most people have been married six years or more have probably had some uh, difficult times, should we say. So we went to this marriage seminar, you know, and it's supposed, it was perfect. It was up in uh, some place in Oregon. I've tried to forget the place. But anyway, uh, it was not good for me. It was not. 
And somebody paid for us. Yeah, I didn't have to pay the ticket or anything. They, they knew you need help, Mike. So we went up there. The birds were singing. The flowers were in bloom. Everything was just perfect. And when we went through, that was like three days, I think, if I remember correctly. When I, it just seemed like there was a bunch of do's and don'ts. If you would do this, don't do that. And how many know you go to a seminar like that, you you can you could get all fired up, and after three weeks, yeah, you can do that. But after three months, man, you you can't do that anymore, or you forget to do it. And if you're a man, it's probably you forget to do it. You know. And if we think, you know, if if she would just do this, Pastor, you know, our marriage would be good. And then the wife would turn around, well, if he would just don't do some things, you know, don't leave the lid up at the toilet. Why does you always do that? And so he, he can straighten up for a while and she can straighten up for a while. But how many know people are people. People are human. People are not perfect, so they're not going to do. So this is the problem with a list of do's and don'ts. It usually doesn't work. Why? Because you and I aren't perfect. Let me ask you this. Is your relationship with your Heavenly Father, is it based upon do's and don'ts? If you are really righteous and living good and holy, are you going to be acceptable to the Father? Most Christians say yes. Okay, so if you're not doing so good, let's just say you're flat out being bad. Does your Heavenly Father still accept you? No, I needed to be a little bit stronger than that. Does He accept you? So, are you telling me your Heavenly Father loves you no matter what? No matter what you do? You truly believe that? You better believe that. Because this is what your Heavenly Father... Oh, this is... I'm so glad you're in church today. This is what your Heavenly Father says is what you need to bring into your marriage. And it can be wonderful. So there's no longer a list of do's and don'ts. What you bring in is the unconditional love of your Heavenly Father that says this, I'm going to love you no matter what. Some of you go, I knew we shouldn't have came here. You say, well, Pastor, um, that sounds like a difficult, difficult thing. It is. Let me just give you this little symbolism here. I, I like this. How did Eve come forth? Remember in Genesis, how, how did she come forth? She came from Adam's side. How was the church brought forth? Well, I know he was on the cross, but I think it was significant that Jesus, his side was pierced with a spear and blood and water came out of his side. So um, where did God bring Eve out from is what I should have said. How did Eve come forth? That's what I should have said. You remember how did Eve come about? It was when God told, or not told, but he made Adam go to sleep. He went to sleep and when he woke up, he was married. <laughs> some people would have thought that would have been a nightmare some people would have thought that would have been a dream but anyway how did the church you, if you stop and think about it Jesus symbolically it, it's represented like that because he died on the cross and that's how the church came about 
So God is just wanting you and I to get a revelation of his love so that you can have a great marriage. The Holy Spirit can help you with this. You say, I, how can I love my wife with this kind of love? How can I love my husband with this kind of love? I don't think I can do that. And I would say, you can't. You cannot. You can't love your wife just in your own natural ability as Christ loved the church. And wives, you can't love your husband like that. So you think, okay, well, I'm glad we got that settled. But this is the thing. When you and I got born again, we gave our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus brought the whole package. He brought everything with him to dwell inside of you. The greatest thing he brought was, that's what he is, is love. The unconditional love that we were talking about, that's in every single one of you. It's in there. Your spouse may think, well, if it is, it's buried. <laughs> Probably, but it's still in him. And this is the wonderful thing. God not only gave you that love, he gave you grace to do it. The grace of Almighty God is inside of us. I got this illustration of um, grace. You know I'm from Kentucky and how I love basketball. We grew up playing basketball 12 months out of the year. It wasn't a three-month sport. It was a 12-month sport. We would cut the fingertips off our gloves so we could dribble basketball when it was 20 degrees outside. We shovel the, the court off, and the outside court, so we could play 12 months out of the year. And this one summer, I was in middle school. They opened up the middle school for our subdivision so we could play in a nice court inside, air-conditioned. So we, man, it, we, our whole subdivision, and I was there. I was there every day that I could possibly be there. So I was playing, and this one day I was getting the basketballs out of the closet. There was this little round trampoline in there. I don't know if the cheerleaders used it or what, but I had one desire that I dreamed about constantly. It's not to score 40, 50 points. It wasn't to block shots. I only had one desire. I wanted to be able to dunk the basketball. At five foot three, that was not going to happen. In the gene pool that I was born into, my sister was 4'11". My brother, the tallest person, was 5'8". So I thought, it ain't going to happen. So I thought, I, I can never do that. But I had this great idea. When I saw that trampoline, I thought, I'm going to see how high I can jump with this thing. So I went and I put it in front of the, the basketball goal. And I got back at half court and I took off running with a basketball. And I jumped as high as I could and landed in the center of that trampoline. And I went flying. <laughs> I didn't just go high. My head went above the rim. But I had the ball over my head. And I threw that thing down into that rim. And, when I came, and I hung onto the rim. And my legs were just a swinging, and I started yelling at the top of my lungs, Yes! I did it! I did it! Oh, it was the most glorious thing in the world. 
So if anybody ever asked me, they say, have you ever dunked a basketball? Yes, I have. No, there's no way. Not only have I, I was in middle school when I did it at five foot three. And people look at you and go, I can't believe he did it. But I did it. But let me ask you this. Was it in and of my own strength? No. Could I did it in and of my own strength? No. And the Lord just spoke to me. He said, that's grace. That's grace. There's so many things that we can't do in life. One of them is loving the person you're married to. But God says, I'm going to give you the trampoline of life. And you're going to be able to do things you never dreamed you could do. You say, well, I, I, I don't deserve that. And you look at your spouse, they don't deserve that. They do not deserve that. Do you realize God sent His Son to die for you, not while you were being good and trying to be good, while you were a sinner? Do you deserve the love of God? No. He knows that. But he says, I'm going to give it to you. Grace. I'm going to give you something that you do not deserve. None of us deserve that. God says, I want you to have that attitude in your marriage. Most marriages are set up when they do something good for me. Okay, now I'm released. I'm open to do something good for them. God says, when they do something you may think evil to you, wicked, and I'm talking about more than just burning your toast. God says, I want you to turn around and do something good to them. They don't deserve it, Father. Yes, I know that. You see, love is unconditional. If it's not unconditional, it's not love. If you love somebody, it's got to be unconditional, which means they don't have to perform. They do not have to perform to get me to love them. That'll just set you free in your marriage. Now, I don't have to be concentrating on, well, they did me wrong or they don't do me right. All I need to be concentrated on, God, I thank you that you love me and that love is inside of me and I can love my spouse no matter what? That'll set you free. Even when they don't deserve it, yes. Even when they don't deserve it. That's when it should come alive in your marriage. And this is the great thing. You know, we usually get the cart before the horse, you know. We think that if I do good, I'm going to be acceptable before God. God goes, no, I accept you before you do anything. And we, we take that same kind of mentality into our marriage, you know. If, they, if they'll just do good, then I'll give them. And it's always the cart before the horse. God says, no, you've got it backwards. People think if, if I live right, I'll become more holy. The problem with that is, you may think that, but then that is called self-righteousness. Because most... Not most. A lot of Christians think that if I have to be holy, then I have to live holy to become holy. God says, I'm going to make you holy. Then you're going to see that you can walk out the holiness. But it's the other way. Not trying. You see, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they tried to be holy. And God says, your righteousness is a stench to me. 
Why? Because you're trying to perform. You're trying to perform to get what God says, the only way you can get this is through Jesus. The only way you can get this love, it's not performing, doing right, it's just saying, I believe you've given it to me, God. I got it in me. And I can love my spouse with that kind of love. Man, our marriage has... We've been married 27 years, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. You see, I was thinking, if Melody would just change, we'd have a great marriage. If she would just... Oh, I know it's a long list, God, but if she could do those things, it would be great. And of course, you know, nobody can do the list that you have for your spouse. But wouldn't it be great if, listen to this, follow me on this dream. Wouldn't it be great if every person who knew you only thought good of you? Even when you were a scoundrel, even when you messed up, said something stupid, opened your mouth, inserted your foot, and you go, I can't believe I said that. Maybe you just messed up tremendously, but yet everybody that you know just loves you anyway. Would you like that kind of world? I know we don't live in that world, but would you like that kind of world? God says in marriage, that's the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) Kind of the same response in the first service, but... Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, He existed before all things, and all things are held together in Him. I read that, and I thought, your marriage, my marriage, everybody's marriage is held, can be, if we believe it, held together by Jesus. Some people say, my marriage is held by a thread. Well, if you're a born-again believer, you need to believe that it can be held together by God. You think God can hold your marriage together? Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says this. It says, Husbands, love your wives. We read that just as Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. What is he saying here? Jesus uses the word, the Bible, to minister to us. He's saying that husbands can minister to their wife or to their marriage just by their words. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about words. It's the most powerful thing in your marriage. And we use them negatively but we can use them positively. A lot of times we just need to speak faith over our marriage, which means you may not see it, but you can talk good about it. I truly believe that you can love your spouse unconditionally. No amens? I truly believe. You see, because this is the thing, if you truly believe that, then you're not waiting for that person to perform or do the list of the goods or the bads. You don't have to wait on them at all. I'm telling you, this is the key to a great marriage. This is what every marriage needs. Why? Because, you know, the do's and the don'ts, you can't do that forever. And there's sometimes you do it. Other times you don't. And the times you don't, guess what? Your marriage stinks. I believe God has set it up to where your marriage never 
has to stink. No matter what. I said no matter what. It's based truly upon the love of God. He loves us. Our relationship with God never, never faints, never grows weary. Never. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Why don't you pull up, I didn't put this on there, 1 Corinthians, the Amplified Version. 1 Corinthians 13, what is that, verse 8? 1 Corinthians 13, 8. 7, 8, round in there. This is what love is, and this is what you have for your spouse. This is what you have for your spouse. It says, uh, love never faints. Uh, Love never fails. There he goes. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. That's the kind of love we're talking about. There's no end. You know, most people who are married, you know, their love comes to an end when their spouse starts messing up or not treating them right. They're not doing what they want. That's when the love comes to an end. That's what marriages in the world. But in the church, if you're born again, that's not the love that your marriage should be based upon. Shouldn't be based upon how they look. They gain a few pounds. They lose this. They get out of shape or that. Shouldn't be based upon any kind of emotion. Any one of your five senses, your marriage should not be based upon. And yet, so many marriages are. Totally by looks. And you know, people say, oh yeah, that's just shallow, isn't it? Yeah, but unfortunately, that's what most marriages end in divorce because looks, them not doing right. I didn't know I married the Wicked Witch of the West. Well, I didn't know I married Dracula. You were hiding in your coffin and I didn't know it. It's all, it's all based upon... Marriage can be all based upon performance. Just like religion can be based upon performance whether you're acceptable to God. That's religion. God says, I don't want your... I want you to understand that our relationship is based upon me loving you. All you have to do is accept it. I'm telling you, your marriage can be like that. And when you have an understanding of how much God loves you, when you have a, it's a revelation. I mean, you people, you're going to say, oh yeah, I know God loves you. No, you don't, honey. None of us know like we should know. But the more revelation that you have that God loves you 24-7, in the good, the bad, and the ugly, with makeup, no makeup, with bad breath, with your hair, all it looks like it got home by an egg beater or something. No matter what you look like, God says, you're the apple of my eye. Do you truly believe that you are the apple of God's eye all the time? Most of us don't. But if you can start saying, God, I need you, in Ephesians 3.17, it talks about, God, would you open up my eyes so I can know the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height of your love? You know what that tells me? God's love is not one-dimensional. It's not something that's painted on a canvas. It's one-dimensional, two-dimensional. It's the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of His love, which means it's every facet of your life and my life. If we can understand that, God help me to understand that, then when I'm mistreated, it does not affect me. 
You probably will get mistreated if you've been married more than six hours. <laughs> probably during the, the reception, something may be said. Or <laughs> My point is this. God has set it up that you can have a great marriage if you want to. Based upon having an understanding and a revelation of the love of God. And you know what? If you do that, you'll see things change in your life that you will treat that other person better. You will. The do's will fall into place more. The don'ts will fall into place more. But it's not, it's not the do's and the don'ts and then you have a great marriage. It's having an understanding of the love of God, how much He loves you. Then you'll see. You, it, it's, it ta- then you know grace start coming alive in you automatically. You'll have grace to love Him. You'll have grace to love her. Can you say amen? amen? Do you believe that? You truly believe that? And listen, if you're not married, if you believe that, it'll change your life. I truly believe it's the greatest revelation that the world needs to know. That God loves you. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. We can quote it. You can see it in football games, printed on people, signs. But most people do not have an understanding of it. And if you want to have a great marriage, it's a necessity. Because you're going to come up against hell on earth sometime in your marriage. Because that person is not perfect that you married. The armor has a kink in it. Not only a kink, it is total rust. And the white horse has become a donkey. And that's what you married. I said, and that's what you married. But God says, isn't he wonderful? (laughs) Isn't he lovely? He looks good to me. He's my son. And that's my daughter. If you're a man, you married God's daughter. If you're a woman, you married God's son. And the great news is, he wants, just like I'm a father, I want the best for my children. I want their marriage to be blessed. How much more does your heavenly father want your marriage blessed? Amen? So let's start believing that and start asking God to open up our eyes to how much he loves us so that you can love your spouse even when they don't deserve it. Amen? Let's stand.